we want to open this episode with something serious just because Luke and I are such huge Marvel fans. We thought it would be important to just acknowledge uh, the passing of Chadwick Boseman. Uh, it's it like completely threw me. I mean, like everybody, um, it was just like such a shock. Um, I, you know, it's just incredible to think that he, uh, he, everything he's done, he was doing while, you know, receiving treatment. Yeah. It was such, it was just absolutely knocked me sideways. It was obviously it was so unexpected. It was unexpected for everyone. Um, and it seemed so, yeah, just strange and sad and tragic and kind of reminded you whenever you thought of what he was doing and and it was kind of, you had the thing of it, I was like, oh, since 2016. And then you suddenly realize as you look down the list, you're like, oh, that's all of this stuff. All that's of a it. huge amount of stuff. And like, I was trying to get this out on Twitter, but I feel like it needs to be said how transformative his appearance in the Marvel Universe is. Like, not only does it come obviously right at the end of phase two and beginning of phase three where the whole thing changes anyways, but both the introduction of black Panther and the world of Wakanda, like I can't even imagine what the Marvel universe would be like if that didn't happen. I also can't imagine like what it would be like without him specifically in that role, because yeah. he brings such a unique energy to it that is quite hard to explain in terms of like, he comes across as a King rather than a superhero. But he also comes across as like James Bond. Yeah. Like, I feel like the Marvel Universe gets good when it starts to realize that superheroes are a launch point into any genre of sci-fi they want. So you get like aliens and you get magic and you get robots and you get time travel and all that. But what they hadn't really figured out, I feel like, until Black Panther is that you could do a full-on spy movie inside of a Lord of the Rings-esque like game of thrones battle for a fictional country with like political intrigue you could basically cook any genre you wanted inside of another genre inside of another genre and that doesn't work unless you have someone like chadwick boseman who is helming the whole thing with like a like dry like relatable just like he's a guy who's got to get his job done and like that's it. and it's it's such a unique thing and his job just happens to be being being a king yeah yeah, get, being a king of a secret country. Um, my uh, my mom really wasn't like up on Black Panther or Chadwick Boseman, and then she watched uh, ABC here did like a full uh, ad free showing of Black Panther on TV, and she finally That's watched cool. it, and she was like, "This movie is so good." And I was like, "I know it's really good." So it, I mean, it stands out amongst the rest of the Marvel universe as a. It's probably the best standalone movie. You could argue, yeah. Um, I would say it's one of the few standalone movies. Like it is just a that's movie. true, actually. Yeah, it is just a really good movie, and yeah, re- reading it, like you realize how much influence he had on it. Uh, I think the fighting for the language stuff that came out was super interesting. Um, the, the, I really think I important. sent this to you, but the whole thing where he, yeah, largely wrote the final line, which is a line you talk about constantly. Like you, it's you one of line. the best line. It's easily the best line in Marvel, and it's one of the best lines in cinema because it is so effect it's just so effective at getting across a message and it does and the fact that it comes in at basically a disney movie is crazy i mean yeah and black panther it's interesting i hadn't really thought about the fact of the standalone aspect of black panther but other than iron man black panther is probably the only pure entry point you could have and it's focused so heavily on 
like Chadwick Boseman's T'Challa that like it works. Like anyone can watch that movie and be like, this movie yeah. rules. I totally understand what's happening here, but you really don't get that with even like the Captain America movies. Like they're, they're pretty baked into the universe. Yeah. I just think, yeah. And it's also such an important move for, for, I mean, so many other ways. The other story that I always tell, by the way, the line that we're talking about is the, um, Michael e. Jordan's line, which I'm not going to do it full because I can't pull it off, but the bury him in the, bury him in the sea where I, uh, ancestors who didn't want to be slaves. Right. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's such a good line. And I, yeah, it, it blows my mind every time I hear it. But the other really important thing about that movie is how it, it totally changed how you can make franchise movies. The guy who's playing Shang-Chi pointed out on Twitter that, yeah, they would never would have made that movie without Black Panther having come first. The fact they made a billion dollars, more than a billion dollars worldwide, is is incredibly crazy. Like as a standalone yeah. Marvel movie to do that, um, and my memory, which is a story I tell when I, I I put on Twitter immediately after it happened, but it's the one I think about a lot, which is um, uh, where I live, East London. Uh, I go to the same cinema most times, and it's a uh, it's good because it's, it's really quiet. That's kind of why I like it, and I can go to the, it's like a weird time and basically sit in a cinema on my own. I don't have to. Mm-hmm. And I can watch movies at three is- times in the morning. Which is, is it? Is it the Islington View? No, it's the uh, Holloway View. Oh, oh, that one. Yeah. That's the one that I never really went to. Yeah, well, it was in walking distance to my old flat, so that's why I went there a lot. But I went there for this one, and this was. It was two or three days after Black Panther came out. I missed. I can't remember why. I had other things on, and I missed the first few days of it. And I went a few days later, and I was like, "Oh, okay, it'll be a few days after. It'll be half quiet." And I was like, "Wow!" When I went to book tickets, like a few hours, before, I was like, "Wow, this is super busy." Uh, got a ticket, went in, and as I was sitting there, I was like, wow, this, this cinema is actually full. And then as the sort of first 20 minutes of the film happened, just every 30 seconds, like two kids, two black kids from the area would just like sneak in and sit on the stairs or sneak in and sit like in the aisle or by the corridors. And you suddenly realize that they were buying tickets for other movies and then just sneaking into the thing, which was showing, I don't know, there were there must have been a dozen showings on that day. But they were sneaking into this showing, and it meant they were doing it to every single showing. That rules. And it's yeah. And by like, there was a point about half an hour through where I looked over and I saw the guy cleaning, who was literally the janitor, um, who had just decided that he really needed to clean a spot inside the movie theater. Just watch it. He was there the entire movie. Yeah, he was there the whole movie. And yeah, and it was such a common reminder because I feel like often we can talk about our representation as being quite tick box, right? Uh, But when you're in that in there and you sort of realize and you're in this like audience that you know people are literally like sitting in the aisles to see this movie because it is so special i think that really gets over the idea of just how impactful this stuff is yeah and how important his role in that is i mean it's just like a really cool movie like it just it like yeah. everything about it just drips just like this thing that you've never seen before um the afrofuturism aspects like make my head swell when i think about like just what what's in it it's it's an incredible film and everything involving him from that point forward is like better because he's there including the my favorite line in almost any marvel movie which is get this man a shield it's the coolest line in the whole film it's like um it is a very good line Imagining Infinity War without Black Panther is like impossible. Um, I don't know, you know, where Marvel goes from this. I don't even really care. Um, but no, I feel no, I feel really lucky that you know we all got to sort of be around for that. That was that you know that that four years of Black Panther and Chadwick Boseman. 
Yeah, so. it was really good. to the content mines my name is ryan broderick and it is raining where i am right now my name is luke bailey and it is also raining where i am really yeah we got to the rain we got past the annoying summer heat that we're not equipped to deal with and now we're back into rain which is our correct mode of living okay that's nice it's yeah it's nice that it's raining where you are as well um yeah (laughs) i'm actually i'm actually slightly stressed stressed by the rain because at some point while we're recording this Maybe not tonight, but in the future. Like I record this in a loft, uh, and it gets pretty loud when the rain's on. So, oh, well, that's kind of yeah. sp- we could do like a spooky episode. Yeah, hopefully it will happen around Halloween, and then we can you tie it in. I mean, British people love Halloween, so you guys would do. Yeah. All right. So last week we told you that we were gonna do a thing about QAnon, and then we got distracted because a furry blew up the Scottish language, and we had to cover <laughs> that. Um, so we decided to put our QAnon episode on hold. And we are going to do it this week. Uh, we will be talking about just the whole fucking thing, man. Um, We're going to talk about like where it came from and how like we think it's a unique thing to the internet. And yeah. It's a unique thing specific to the last four years of the internet. Yeah. And how like it's it's one of those things where, you know, I think a lot of people saw that it was something like this was coming, but it's almost so stupid and like grotesque. That it's like no one was being taken seriously. And like I'll even confess, I didn't even really take it seriously because it's just so dumb that like I'm I'm still not hundred percent sure how seriously we should take it. That's the other crazy thing. That's the other issue here. It it exists in this like very uniquely internet uncanny valley of like what what do you do with it, you know? So we're gonna talk about that, but first, uh I wanna talk about um so I found this out this morning. Do you remember the bald gurning guy from the British nightclub who's like just like grinding his teeth yes. and dancing? Yeah, legend. Yes. So I, he he was actually prime minister for a little while. <laughs> yeah, yeah, David Cameron. Yeah. Um, so uh, garbage day readers will have already seen this, but I don't think Luke has seen this yet. Um, a dance music like podcast from the UK found him. Oh, wow. And, uh, his name is Sean Jackson. Uh, and I'm going to send you, I'm going to send you a, a timestamp section of the interview here. Cause I want to record your reaction. Okay. So this is, this is the bald gurning guy from, uh, Bounce by the Ounce is the nightclub in Preston yep. in the north. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Luke is going on a really interesting face journey right now. I feel like there's just like a lot of like British cultural information that you're being bombarded with at the same time right now. It's yeah. I mean, it's incredibly, it's incredibly British, but it's also this guy is a, is a, a perfect example of how you should deal with viral, fa- viral fame. Which is that you shouldn't, and you should just completely ignore it, not follow it up, not know what's happening with it, and just carry on doing your thing. Which in this guy case, guy is 
in this guy's case is going to a carrying on being the guy he is in that video. <laughs> well, so he tells the story of that night, which is really incredible. Um, he says that they like completely missed out on him being really fucked up. And he's like a little disappointed that they only got like him at like a four out of 10 and not like a full 10 out of 10, which he was later. And then he proceeds to tell a story about how after they left the club, they all went back to this, like, I guess like some kind of raver squat in Preston. And they just like set up a bunch of decks, which I assume are like boom boxes or like sound systems and just like raved for like several like a full day after like they just kept going yeah that's that's i mean that's normal like that is the that's the this that video is what 36 hours prior to the two guys hitting themselves with chairs in the back garden yes yes that is exactly the, that, is, that, that is that is the friday night of which that is the sunday night that is that is, was my exact feeling which is like this guy is those guys but like 40 years later also this guy appears to be a very like specific subset of British guy who has like basically once you hit about I think probably about thirty five in Britain you kind of go one of two ways one way is you're like oh I need to stop this I'm dying uh, everything hurts uh, I can only drink between the hours of one and nine and it's always in the pub and it's you know large pints of brown ale and the other guy is like the is this guy it's just like ten percent of people who just calcify. And are just permanently just immortal, and they can carry on doing this forever, uh, and never really notice it. And you know, this guy's probably you know he's doing this for a weekend. He's not sleeping. He's catching a few hours of from like three a.m. on Monday morning, and then at half six, he's getting up and going to his like demanding physical job, and he's fine. I uh, from what I've read, he's a plasterer. Yes, perfect. <laughs> so I just sent you his Instagram. Um, if you want to check that out, yeah, this is perfect. This is just a guy having a good time. Hanging out with a plastic car in front of a shop. It, it seems like all of his photographs are like in like Spanish seaside towns. Yep, Benidorm. Of course, it's Benidorm. Wearing <laughs> a mask, absolutely ripped somehow. He's so. So I will say, yeah, he's I, ripped. He is. He's incredibly jacked, and he. I am happy he's wearing a mask. I feel like that is like that could have gone either way. And the fact yeah. that he is wearing a mask, I think, is. And, and, and uh, you know, he is definitely, like, a northern lad in his, like, <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. I, I think he's in his 50s or 60s, but, like, he could be, he could be 30 and he could be 90. I have no idea. Um, but, yeah, he's also the guy, though, who, you know, having done this for, like, an extremely long time, will suddenly at the age of, like, you know, 67 be like, you know, what, I'm done with drinking and just never drink again and become, like, a good painter or something. Yeah, but he also has, like... He's clearly a guy who was in the rave scene because, like, even in the in the in the podcast interview, he's wearing like plur bracelets. Like, he's wearing like, so he's he lives. I mean, he seems like a chill guy. I want to hang out with this guy. In some of these photos, he's gone skiing, which is excellent and very counterintuitive. Yeah, I mean, it seems like he has. It seems like he contains multitudes, which is beautiful. You know. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's uh, that's where that guy ended up. <laughs> yep, that's good. That's good. I'm glad that that is where he ended up. Me too. Me too. All right, let's talk about Q. Let's talk about let's talk Q. about Q. Let's do it. I feel like we've been like <sighs> flirting with Q this entire show, and like now we have to like actually talk about it. Um, I will also say as a disclaimer that like 
you should listen to the QAnon Anonymous podcast. It is extremely good. It is the top QAnon podcast for a reason. Um, please, if you want to have anything that you hear this week fleshed out in a huge way, I highly recommend heading over and checking it out. Okay. Talking about Q requires a lot of kind of weird jargon. So before we jump into this, uh, Q started on a 4chan offshoot called 8chan. It is named for the Q level clearance secret service White House type member that is posting updates on 8chan or was posting updates on 8chan. Now that 8chan is sort of defunct and has come back as 8kun and a couple other variations, Q largely posts on a website that tracks Q drops, which are like op, like information drops for Q. Um, it is largely accepted that Q is probably gone through a couple different people over the years, but it is almost certainly now probably the project of 8chan owner, 8kun owner Jim Watkins, an American conservative who lives, I think, in the Philippines. Uh, he has a very deranged YouTube channel. And the shortest way to explain what QAnon is, for someone who has no knowledge of it, is that it is the uh, open source fan fiction shared between hardcore Trump supporters that the president is waging a secret war against pedophiles and Satanists. And it will all inevitably conclude in a military execution of like most democrats and it is heavily anti-semitic it is heavily racist it is very reactionary it is it is garbage and they all, all of it is nonsense yeah did i do that did i do it is that the whole that, thing that that sounds like it uh we don't have the you know eight or nine hours to get into the rest of it so yeah that's okay luke when you when did you first notice q and i feel like reasonably soon after it started uh, I think one of the things that always gets me about Q is that it didn't really exist until 2017 because it feels like something that should have existed before the election. And the fact that it didn't always weirds me out slightly. I remember hearing about it then because I remember it was about the third or fourth drop, I think, which included a photo of a, a plane window uh, and someone saying, like, oh, I'm on Air Force One at right. this plane window. And I remember that really vividly because it was this kind of thing of being, there was a moment and there was a few different thing people that did this. There was like an anonymous White House staff, a Twitter account at the same time. Yes. Uh, there was lots of people yes. saying like, I, there was that ridiculous New York Times thing being like, we are the resistance inside the White House. Like there was like a year where it was all like, there is a, there is effectively a secret deep state. Like, <laughs> like people saying like, I'm secretly resisting the president. Yeah, uh, and this was the one that was on the other side of that, being like, "No, no, we are fighting the deep state." And I, and you know, at the time, I remember looking at all this stuff and being like, "What? Some of this is probably real. Some of this is probably fake. Some of this is probably a bored comedian in LA uh, and trying to figure out what was what." And that one was like, "Well, that's just a weird thing." And I remember at the time, someone did like a hard debunk on that photo where it was like, "This definitely is not Air Force One for this reason, this reason, this reason." <laughs> right? Shocking. <laughs> and I was like, oh, "Okay, this person is this. This is bullshit." And then over the course of the next like three or four months, I was like, wow, people are still going on this person. That's weird that that kind of debunk. And there were more debunks at the time. People said various things and said the president will say X and he didn't. Or the president will say right. this and he didn't. And it was all very clear that oh, this is all this is all nonsense. Um, yeah, I mean, it's hard to remember that time and just how febrile that time was. Like this election feels less febrile. Obviously, you're over there. You may have a 
different sense of it. Are you saying virile? Febrile. F-E-B-R-I-L-E. It means like excited. Like febrile? Febrile. I've never heard of this word. Hold on. How have you heard the word febrile? Febrile. Characterized by a great deal of nervous excitement or energy. Having or showing or having or showing the symptoms of a fever. Febrile. This definition two. Oh, for me it's definition one. So okay. maybe, maybe... Well, no, no, no. I'm I'm saying you should read definition two. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Yes. This well, so this election is definitely less febrile. I also think that this election is almost probably the real refer like. I feel like this is a, an issue with like the way American media tends to work, especially around politics. But like the the existential crisis that 2016 was made out to be, I think is actually happening now. But because Americans like have the attention spans of school children, particularly like in their media, because it already happened, you know, we're bored of the idea that this is a big deal. Even though I think this election is without question the biggest is the bigger deal. I think what's happening right now will def- decide whether or not we spend the rest of our lives having to talk about this bullshit yeah i mean even though the media has completely lost interest because that's just the way that like our cable news works yeah there are there are weird elections and you kind of look it back in it now and be like oh, okay actually what happened here was like a one-off quite strange election in which you know this this president get to get elected and everyone looked at it and went like that was weird not sure why that happened but, right you know it's a weird set of circumstances a last minute that last minute comey letter and a fluke of the electoral college and it's like wow and, that, and it, you know in 20 years you look back and go like that was a weird set of circumstances right you know like you look back on um andrew johnson or not andrew johnson um andrew jackson or you know history's greatest monster jimmy carter um yes i mean the the true yeah. american fascist jimmy carter yeah that damn peanut farm <laughs> yeah you can look back at all this weird stuff and say that was this one-off, and but this is the one that really matters. But I think at the time, yeah, at that sort of six months afterwards, when it felt like a true existential global crisis, which has felt less and less like as the time's gone on, there were so many people from both sides just going off the rails. Like, well, like let's wait, hold on, hold on, let's set this up because so so I. When I was living in London, um, my my main job went from covering breaking news to covering what we now or even then called the far right populism wave. And I think inside of the EU, it probably didn't do nearly as much damage as Americans were kind of hoping it would do because Americans like to project their own problems on the rest of the planet. But I think for the in a large way, it did erode democracy worldwide. I think places like Brazil, places like India, places in Southeast Asia, the Philippines. The Philippines is done, I would argue, is done more damage to the Philippines than any other country. Well, no, I would say Brazil, because like Bolsonaro is a straight up fucking lunatic. And like, they're, you know, it is it is the worst also COVID and you've got the Amazon and everything's bad. Every single, okay, yeah, yeah, all right. Sure. We don't need to compare who's, who's getting <laughs> the shit end of the fascist dick the most, but it, it did do a lot of damage. In America, I think... Just like I, I think I don't think it's hyperbolic to say that we don't have a federal government right now. Doing basic things in this country is extremely difficult, like sending a letter or um, like I am dealing with the unemployment office and that is not functioning very well. Um, <laughs> right. We don't have. We never really had a, a social safety net, but like we really straight up do not have a social sa- safety net anymore. It is chaos every goddamn day. You know, the 
the president just maybe violated the Hatch Act and then a couple days later is denying he had strokes, even though no one was saying he had strokes. Like it was the, it was it was extremely like my T-shirt about how I don't have I haven't had strokes is provoking an awful lot of questions answered by my T-shirt. Yeah, exactly. Like it's it, I live in a nonsense world full of bullshit. It's weird. It's all weird. He's demented. Anyways, during that period of time where Q was starting, the whole world felt like. I mean, I remember you and I having very realistic conversations about like an impending world war. Like yeah. things felt insane. There were there were regular terror attacks for a while in London. There was Brexit happening. There was like a refugee crisis. There were fascists popping up everywhere. There was Nazis like legit moving on European cities in like you know obviously small groups, but still it was it was a yeah. crazy period of time. And I think Q anon. Uh, Q, the whole movement just felt so frivolous and stupid compared to everything else that was going on that I almost, I just checked, uh, I, I tweeted about QAnon for the first time in 2018. And uh, wow. the tweet is uh, interesting uh, two years later, which is, it's almost legitimately two years later. I tweeted this August 1st, 2018, and it was no hyperbole. If QAnon hits cable news, people are going to get seriously hurt. Yep, and, I mean, and that's when in those days I felt very strongly that amplifying it, even by covering it, was going to make it worse. Which is still an opinion I have, but now I feel like that cat's way out of the bag, so there's really no point. Yeah, I think I mean I was I was on the same side. I I, I still am to an extent. Um, there's a certain amount of you know you kind of do the early stage. Here's why this is nonsense thing, and then walk away. Right, because you know it's got to be out there for people to be like, "This seems crazy." Search it and find the thing, and go, "Oh, okay, no, it is crazy. It's fine. I'll, I'll, I'll ignore it." Like that, there does need to be an antidote out there, and I do think that as a whole, the media was kind of slow to get to it, and I think you know a few early posts could have slowed it down a lot. Uh, I don't know that they would have worked totally, but you know, you kind of want a bit of friction in that journey into the hole. The other thing I think we should talk about at that time is the fact that it was also happening on the. I want to say the left wing side, the liberal side, in that there was also an awful lot of people getting really getting some really strange thinking about it. Um, do you remember the thread, the "It's Time for Game Theory" thread? It's still so fucking good and dumb and funny. Yeah. So you were talking about uh, Seth Abramson. No, 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 no. It's it's no, no, it's Eric Garland. Eric Garland. That's it. It's time. Yeah. In fact, uh, Google already knows it autofills game theory. So okay. So here it is. It's December 11th, 2016, when Eric Garland <laughs> yes. wrote his, yes. his, his, his famous 120-tweet-long thread, which is utter gibberish and had, like, legit media personalities, who I will not name right now, tweeting it with zero irony. And it starts with um, possibly the, greatest, uh, the fra greatest phrase in the history of posting, which is, I'm hearing this meme that says Obama, Clinton, et al. are doing nothing, just gave up. Guys, it's time for some game theory. And it's... And then, it was, and then there was a first response to it from someone who was like, this is, this is great writing in a in a format not usually suited to it and someone else called it a what was it a, a, a congressional papers for our time uh it's up there with louise mensch saying that steve bannon was going to get the death penalty and that she had no joy in reporting this or whatever yeah. it was. oh oh this was it someone described it as the single greatest thread ever ever read on twitter and in its way a federalist paper for 2016 someone else oh jesus christ <sighs> 
New York Governor Andrew Cuomo's director of communications said that if there are Pulitzer for tweeting, this thread would be the undisputed winner of 2016. Uh, is, is that guy uh, still uh, Andrew Cuomo's uh, director of communications? Uh, I don't know. He's deleted the tweet. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow. Interesting. That is... Uh... Uh, he, is now, he is now former. Uh, okay. Um, Which is interesting. Very interesting. Basically, what, what we're trying to say here is that like this period of time, let's say 20... 15 to 2017. No! He ended up working for fucking WeWork. Excellent. Excellent. Oh, that is amazing. Truly excellent. What we're trying to say is this period of time was crazy. Everyone was losing their goddamn minds. And it felt crazy on both sides from a lot of different directions, which is kind of why we were just like, this is just a different bit of crazy. Yeah, and, it, and it's also like QAnon typically attracts older people who aren't exactly quick moving they're not like you know they're not gonna mobilize very fast and so i i mean yeah i i sort of i'm still of two minds about it which is like i don't think it is good to cover it because i think it spreads shit when you're just yeah i don't think i don't think you can disinfect QAnon with sunlight i think if you could it would be already over because it is so patently ridiculous that if you could just say, look how ridiculous this is, it would be gone. But that's not what's happening here. And that's why I've been so conflicted about addressing it, you know, in a public professional way ever. Because I'm just like, this isn't this isn't going away. It's just getting dumber, like and yeah, crazier I, and more violent. I agree, but I do think there needs, you know, I do think some friction helps. You know, it's the question of, you know, do you put it on cable news and say Hey, uh, here's some people who've got this interesting theory. We've talked to some of them about it. Here's what they think. And they go, fascinating. Yeah, man. I that's, mean, that's the nightmare. I mean, NBC but, here literally just interviewed like Joey Gibson from Patriot Prayer and they just put him on TV and we're like, look, it's Joey Gibson from Patriot Prayer. What? Look at this right wing activist. And it's like, no, nah, that dude's like a straight up like extremist, borderline domestic terrorist running a hate group. Like, this isn't. This isn't ba- this isn't playtime baby shambles day. Like you can't just like <laughs> you can't just be like we're gonna bring in Jim Watkins and he's gonna tell us what Q thinks about what Donald Trump will do next. And I can't even begin to tell you how insane I feel about the f- that s- that reporter who just straight up asked Trump about Q, which is the, like oh, the, yeah. the the worst decision you could make in this. So let's let's before I have a I thought I thought actually that genuinely his response to that question was pretty much the best you could have expected him to say. But also don't do that. Don't set him up like that because you, Yeah. Okay, wait. Are you going to tell me that Donald Trump shockingly took credit for an anonymous vigilante working inside of the government and was just like, "Yeah, that's me. Yeah, I I I think that's great. You know, I think that's cool." It's like, "Of course he did." Such a bad question. But yeah, if you ask the president like they ask the president like, "Hey, this person says they're getting rid of pedophiles. Do you support them?" And he's like, yeah, of course. I don't know. Who, I don't know anything about this, but I, and I'm going to give it enough bullshit. So it sounds, I'm basically coming down sixty forty on it. But I'm probably going to come down on the side of getting rid of pedophiles because what fucking political candidate is not going to do that? I feel like now we got to talk about the spread of Q. So I guess like my question is like, is Q? a thing in the UK like is it internet is it is it real over there or is it just like a bunch of dudes 
like in their 50s in Devon in their shed, like talking about 5G. Uh, it's actually a dude in his castle in Devon. Okay, okay. I'm sorry. It's a guy called, it's a guy called John Mappin who put an enormous Q flag on top of his castle. Oh, yeah, the Q castle guy. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, yeah. T- so, so tell me about John Mappin. Uh, yes, John Mappin has vague links to the Conservative Party that they don't particularly like and try to avoid him in, in like in fairness they they know he's he's clearly way out there a few youth groups have sprung up uh, i think turning point uk appeared at one point and he was vaguely affiliated with that and then everyone who's vaguely respectable with it figured out that this place was a nightmare and then all jumped out pretty fast and yeah so what q's become in the uk is it's, it's a little bit more of a catch-all for th- stuff um there are plenty of people on the kind of far right who think it's like crazy and dumb uh and there's plenty of people who are just like saying this seems broadly close to what we're trying to do here um so we'll go along with it and it's basically got mixed up in a load of the conspiracy theories kind of the same way that i think it has in, in the us a bit you know anti-vaxxers think similar think there's something to cue there's something to to vaccinations are dangerous and, and q is good uh 5g people which obviously in the uk that got that pretty real at the start of lockdown yeah um, you guys there the only ooh. thing you guys love more than repressing your emotions is burning down 5g masts it was yeah there was something very like 16th century about it it was very it was actually very luddite yes <laughs> yes it was it was almost textbook luddite um the the allegations against jeffrey epstein which are obviously quite wide-ranging have been linked and obviously have it links to prince andrew uh their allegations against him which he has repeatedly denied however a number of protesters arrived outside Buckingham Palace the other day, tangentially linked to Q, tangentially linked to anti-5G movements, tangentially linked to anti-vax movements, uh, to make all sorts of uh, allegations against Prince Andrew. So it's basically, it does exist, but it's just got tangled up with a lot of other stuff because, you know, if Donald Trump isn't the president of the UK, so there's just a lot of... Yet. That's true. It's just it's just a blend of all the other stuff that's happening and Q is just kind of thrown in there as an extra fun ingredient. Well, so this is what I think, this is what I think is interesting about Q and, and, you know, you know, let's say, I I think, I think the, the interesting thing about this whole movement, if you can even call it a movement is that it can become anything and it can absorb anything because there's no logic or internal physics to it. It, 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 and it, in many ways, what it is, is, a a weaponization of all of the crazy bullshit on the internet that should have been moderated out of large platforms years ago. It is it is essentially a lack of community moderation that has been politically weaponized. So you get anti-vaxxers, you get 5G truthers, you get like there's a hidden planet Nibiru truthers, you get flat earthers, you get hollow earthers, which is real. The earth is hollow. It's actually a bowl. It's a bowl. It's a bowl-shaped earth. Yeah, we've been through this. You get every single nut job. And, and I think in many ways, Q will probably continue to absorb every crazy form of pseudoscience and political conspiracy on the internet it will start involving vibrational crystals and it'll start bringing in clean eating and it'll start bringing in morgellons that the people who believe there's tiny bits of thread that are growing out of their body it will it uh there'll be munchausen's people involved it, every single micro community of nonsense that should have been dealt with by society at large and also the companies that basically run the internet now and have connected all of these plugs that are making all this shit go into one feed. That's what this is. It is a it is a social sickness created by taking all of human culture and putting it into one feed and then not moderating that feed and putting that feed in every single person on planet Earth's pocket. That's my unified theory of Q is that 
none of this would be happening if one we didn't give all of like modern culture over to three companies and then if those companies had moderated things properly for the last four years we wouldn't be in this mess right now yeah and the other half of that is that the moderation would have helped but the algorithms really didn't help no you know it's it's this idea that it's it's built to these algorithms are built for you to gain followers like that's their design like they're designed to incentivize more time spent and you to try and build a bigger platform on them and so if you, the stuff that you discover that attracts people you do more of and if that stuff is uh tweeting clips of sports games great if that stuff is pushing out dangerous conspiracy theories uh that you cause people to lose their minds also their platform is also saying okay great and for that probably two years when was the big algorithm change 2018 uh, the Start one that 2018? emphasized groups? Yeah. It was right before the yellow vest kicked off. So yeah, 2018. 2018, yeah. And which is what um, always happens. Like they make a tweak in the back end and then like we all have to deal with the ramifications of it for the next, you know, five years until they turn the key a different way. Yeah, it's kind of this hidden undercurrent that we should actually get into fully in another episode but of just like there are these enormous global trends and under it is just this underlying like tweak happening to Facebook that's just changing everything. Right. And it, and 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 it might not even be what Facebook is tr- and I think this is like a hard thing for a lot of people to understand including the people I've spoken to at Facebook <laughs> which is that Facebook makes a change. So let's say in 2018 they decide that um they want to emphasize groups uh so to make people spend more time on facebook groups they change a little bit of the balance in the algorithm which yeah but this was this was this was also in response to what happened in 2016 like it was to deal with the essentially the election of donald trump when they were like this seems like it was partly due to our platform and it seems to have happened in a bad way so let's so let's take our algorithm which an algorithm is just like an automated recipe so they they take it and they they change it slightly so that in your newsfeed instead of seeing CNN articles and Fox News articles and Gateway Pundit articles and Daily Caller articles and all that shit, instead of seeing trending news, you'll instead see comments from your friends and people posting things in groups that you're a member of. Now, that is a totally anodyne, interesting thing. I think actually building communities on the internet is a really great thing. I'm a big advocate, you know, of online communities. Um, join the Content Minds Discord coming in October. Um, I don't know, maybe if people want that. But anyways, but then the problem with Facebook's like tweak is that the algorithm is just looking for brute time on site and engagement. So it's like, okay, what can we promote that makes people use us more? Well, it turns out like one of the most motivate, the two most like motivating things for people is paranoia and hate. So you end up with like, everyone becoming like a neo-Nazi and like a tinfoil hat, like flat earther almost within like two months. And I've, you know, I've gone out and talked about this a lot, but like, I genuinely think it's immediate result was the yellow vest movement, which basically stood for nothing, mobilized a bunch of people in small towns across Europe. And then they just burned cars for a while because the algorithm connected them and they were pissed off. Yeah. And it was France. So it's easier to make French people go out and burn cars than it is in other countries. I mean, but they're going to burn cars no matter what, but like they were burning a lot of cars for France. It was a lot of cars. And it, it was this thing of, of, there was obviously a lot of pushback from yellow vests and Q people in the UK who, you know, had adopted Q for a thing and to be like, hey, why isn't the media covering this more? And it's kind of like, there's not really anything to cover. No, you're not doing anything. In fact, so yeah, the UK had Q yellow vests and France did too. When I was in one of the protests, there was 
lo and behold, a dude walking around with Q shit written in French on the back of his yellow vest. And I, it was it was it was any time there was a big protest in London, you'd go along and it would be primarily the people going like, you know, the core of a lot of British British racism is is um, like football firms and ex-football hooligans. Right. Like, that's where a lot of this comes from. Uh, and it's still the same impulse. So you go there and it's, you know, it's 50% football hooligans. And then there's like 10% of people who are like free speech, young conservatives who are these like pasty white 19 year olds in yeah, they, tweed suits and a MAGA hat for some reason. They look like, they all and look then, like Kiff from Futurama. Yeah, exactly. And then you get a few other people who support some other conspiracy theory. There's a, uh, and you end up getting these, these flavors of people. And then, they, oh yeah, there's some people with yellow vests on there as well. It's not a huge number of people, but even now you see these protests and there's always someone with a yellow vest on there. It's, it's like, like the same way like, you see someone with an anonymous mask. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's always someone with an anonymous mask. I also think like there was this tendency to give 4chan a lot more credit than they probably deserved. And I was part of this wave of people as well. I, I kind of, I, I will sort of cop to, to that. And I think it, it stemmed a lot from Gamergate and the assumption that like they were so well organized during Gamergate that like maybe they really could meme a president into the White, White House. And maybe they could really do this across Europe. Maybe they could really network you know, a, a global movement of, of young fascists. But what it turns out is that they can't because they're idiots and like 4chan can't do anything right and they can't even get along. And now they're being torn apart because half of them accidentally became communists when they heard Chapo Trapos for the first time their freshman year of college. But it turns out that the older demographic for Q believers, which was always sort of a punchline because, you know, the Q boomers, which... I don't actually think they're boomers. I think they're all Gen Xers. Yeah, boom, boomers. Boomers are older than you think when you actually look up the numbers. Yeah, they're like yeah, they're like seventy and 80, 80 years old. Meanwhile, like the Gen Xers at the heart of the QAnon movement are all LARPing as Fox Mulder, and they can actually do things in society because, for the most part, they have jobs, they have money, and now they're running for office. I think one of the problems, though, is that while it feels like it started on 4chan, now it's gone. There's no way to put it back in the box. And I think it's going to be the case with an awful lot of these things, where where they came from is irrelevant now because they're, they're all over the internet. And as a result, you know, they're going to change their algorithms. They're going to figure out a way to stop these things growing in the same way. Like, they'll all have uh, secondary um, impact. You know, you, you change the algorithm in one way, it brings something else to the surface. But it means that there is this one single movement that was created because no one was moderating it, no one considered it was worth moderating anything. Um, which, yeah, is the one of the great failures of the internet. It's the overreliance on algorithms and the assumption that the moderation was bad, uh, which was partly a cost thing and partly a uh, an ideological thing. So then, you, yeah, then you end up with this Q thing, and I don't really know where it's going to go because it is still obviously the movement is is to keep the movement going it needs more followers but i think the scarier thing and possibly the more realistic thing is that q could go away but the trappings of it don't so you have in the same way that like a lot of gen z slang is essentially just like 4chan derivative stuff you know um i think you could have you could have a thing where the the culture of q lasts a lot longer i mean i think you and i were even joking about the idea that like you drive down the street and next to the church of scientology is the church church of q yeah i mean it's definitely got some religious characteristics to it although this is the other thing though is is 
part of the reason this works, and this is always the kind of, you know, what does the internet do and what does the culture around the internet do? And part of the thing about the culture around the internet is that, um, the culture prior to the internet, I guess, is that, you know, trust in media is down, trust in politicians are down, you know, the congressional approval record, like, hits hilarious new lows every year. Like, all of these things keep going down. And what it means is that there's far more fertile ground for it to pick up in. So that's kind of the outside the internet thing of it happens at a moment when all the other things are down. The democratization of media, the democratization of the internet means that both these things can spread, but also there is fertile ground for them to spread into. And and let's be real, like I, I've I've actually long believed this. I believe that Q followers are rational. I think they are they are re- reacting to real problems. Like in the last couple of years, we have basically discovered that every rich person on earth is keeping their money in offshore bank accounts. The journalists that exposed that then exploded in their cars and died. And then a couple of years later, it was revealed that a large network of rich people all were friends with the same prolific pedophile. Like, it is not totally insane to think that there is an evil network of people who do not have our best interests at heart. But the problem with Q is that it offers fake solutions. And the bigger problem with that is that like, when rich people now who are in charge are beginning to feel not stupid about referencing Q in public, like the president, they can use Q as a, as a carrot to distract people. It is literally a way to say, all of these problems that you recognize are real, well, here is a completely bullshit way to fix them. If you believe this and you don't vaccinate your children and you uh, drink bleach or whatever it is and you vote for me, it'll be fine. And and that's a really dangerous thing. Well, see, my positive way of looking at, at that is that symbols become subsumed into the culture around them. Like, like Batman. They are... No, um, <laughs> <laughs> like they are, they are swallowed whole and stripped of meaning because that's what literally like Batman. Uh, sure, or um, <laughs> but it's 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 what I mean is that's kind of how capitalism works. That kind of how society works, and it's kind of how politics works because uh, culturally, people something will happen that is very very relevant. Uh, let's come up with an example. Okay, um, uh, we shall overcome the the protest song from nineteen sixties. Yes. Um, very moving song, very inspirational. Uh, it becomes a cultural thing. It's used in culture. It's used in jokes, which you know strips it with some of its meaning. Uh, and then it's used by the president at the time to symbolize his commitment to, to, to civil rights. But it then, obviously, he doesn't do everything the protesters want to. He does a bit. He moves on a bit, but it's not quite there. And now, you know, someone saying we shall overcome in 2020 is it has va- basically no meaning. Oh. It still exists. The germ of that idea still exists, but as it becomes bigger, it also becomes weaker and just sort of, it waves itself out. So eventually there'll be a period, I think, in 20 or 30 years when people are putting, you know, Q in whatever the equivalent of Twitter bio is there. And all it means is like, you are a conservative who thinks, believes in small government. You, you're basically saying like, uh, where we go one, we go all becomes the new version of don't tread on me, which is just like a meaningless exactly. thing that your uncle yeah. says. I, I've... I have a name for this sort of cycle on the internet, which is, I call this the Harambe cycle, which is that all memes, if they are, all memes have to die. I think it's a good thing when they die, because if they don't, they become hateful and insane. And the, and the best, Pepper the Frog. And the best way to kill a meme is to monetize it to death before extremists can use it to manipulate people. So, 
I am now announcing a new Teespring store that Luke and I are starting. You can buy all the Q <laughs> merch you want. Um, but I think I think you're totally right. I think that like there is this tendency, especially among millennial reporters, to believe that every single thing that they're doing is the like game changing moment in history, and that like they are part of it, man. In the same way that like we were having these conversations a couple years ago. But there is an aspect to this that Q could become a worldwide religion, but it could also just become like the 2020 version of the smiley face. Yeah. There's also like, I'm a big fan of like 1900s, um, like, you know, pre-World War One stuff. And like, there are so many weird, like occult movements that like didn't go anywhere and like no one remembers them. You know, I have a book that I bought from that psychic last year and it was about how to, uh, uh, protect myself from psychic warfare and it was published in like 1930 by this like british psychic who was like teaching people how to keep themselves safe from psychic vampires yeah and then a small amount of this stuff becomes something like the church of scientology yeah which was explicitly created as a con yeah i i, I think i think q is scary but q also could become a, a pretty big historical footnote if if it goes the right way yeah i think i mean there's always going to be core believers there are going to be people who genuinely believe this uh but i also think that there are going to be the vast majority of people will think it is just i think in 20 years it's a bit of fun and i'm, I'm weirdly positive about it and this is what makes me feel so crazy about q because you know you catch me on a different day i'll read something else i'll be like no this is a threat to the world right because it's so hard to tell exactly what it is how many people are following these groups because they think it's vaguely funny and they get the occasional funny meme from it like something someone was talking about the other day that I thought was really compelling was the idea that um, um, a lot of the people passing on memes and information and, and all this stuff about, you know, the Democrats are, are secretly all eating snakes in the basement of Congress or whatever. They're passing it on because they're like, hey, just thought this might be useful information. Like, they don't have any particular emotional relationship with it. And I think that's a stronger thing than we necessarily think. And you kind of go back to them and be like, hey, this is this is off the wall. Like, why are you doing this? And they're just like, I've just thrown useful information. They're not particularly engaging with it. Like, and I do think there's more of that than we think, particularly around Q stuff. There's people think this is a fun group. And then they'll see something in it. They don't like, they'll see the wrong meme and be like, eh, I'm out of it. I also think that like, as someone who's been in this system, I mean, you as well, I think there is an incentive among both the media on the left and the right and politicians on the left and the right to maybe take Q a bit more seriously than it needs to be because it is an infinite well of material. It is it is a it is a compelling idea to have this life and death struggle for sanity playing out online and you can literally go and pull any random thing you want out of a Q drop and write about it. And I think that there's some real damage being done in our perception of this thing because we don't know the scale of it. We don't know the seriousness of it. We also, you know, I hate to be that guy, but like we don't know how many diehard Q supporters are serious. We don't know if this is a performance art thing. We don't know the intentions. And and you can argue like maybe it doesn't matter because they're still doing it, but it's like, no, but it does start to matter when you're saying that this is like an open source domestic terrorist movement. And it's like, well, is it, or is it just like a freaky deaky, like, hippie movement for the tw the 2020s yeah and are these other people going to the street with q flags would they be doing their confederate flag or uh a don't tread on me flag if it wasn't q are they going to be there because some of them are like some of them are also into a bunch of other things and if q wasn't there 
you know, maybe they're slightly less passionate about it. And, you know, that does matter. But I feel like many of them are going to be out there regardless. Like the Boogaloo people are going to be out there regardless. And like, there are people who are taking this very seriously. And, and I'm glad that they are. I've, I interviewed one uh, a couple weeks ago for Garbage Day, Sarah H. Definitely recommend checking her out on Twitter. Um, her username is Nizumi, N-E-Z-U-M-I underscore Ningen, N-I-N-G-E-N. And her take is sort of the idea that Q is a cult. Uh, and she compares them to um, a lot of like 90s cult movements. Um, you should also, if you're interested in this, you should read the tweets of Travis View, T-R-A-V-I-S underscore V-I-E-W. Uh, he's part of the Q Anon Anonymous uh, podcast yeah. crew. They're all really good. Ben Collins from NBC is really good. There's a lot of good people who are doing like really serious work on this. Um, we obviously could talk for a very long time about Q. <laughs> yeah, it's essentially infinite. Uh, you know, we could go into every single Facebook group and everyone would have a slightly different flavor and a slightly different way of doing this. But I don't want to do that. No, uh, no, I don't either. The Content Minds, I think, as a show only works if we can have fun and be a little serious. And I think the further we get into this world, the darker it's going to get and like... It is all dumb. I mean, not a single part of QAnon is real, and it is yep. all insane nonsense. And if you know anyone in your life who is getting sucked into this stuff, shoot us an email, um, ryan.broderick at gmail.com. Uh, happy, yeah. happy to connect you with some people who can help or do, you know, whatever you need. Um, it's, yeah, de-radicalization is, is a real challenge and something that, that is something we should be talking about a lot more, I think. Like pulling people out of these cycles is a thing that we need to think about. Yes. And I think I, I, I sort of share your weirdly optimistic sort of view on this, which, or not, op, not optimistic, but like pragmatic. I sort of, I, I feel, I feel very pragmatic about the Q situation. I sort of don't think it's going to be the, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong again. I, I was wrong about it in the beginning. So maybe I'm wrong again now, but I don't know. It doesn't seem like it'll stay, but I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's going to be a weird few years though. Yeah, I mean, yes. It's like, it's not, we're not, yeah, I think what's important is we're not saying that in the next, like, in six months' time, no one's going to remember what it is. What we're saying is in 10 years, it's, it's the old, I think it was Bill Gates quote, actually, uh, which isn't helpful for this, but uh -oh. the idea that things change way more, way less in two years than you think, and way more in 10 years. Yeah, yeah, that sounds and I think right. that's kind of what I think. I think we're not going to have huge change in two years, but 10 years, totally different. I think so. Hello! Welcome to a segment we do every week called The Content We're Consuming to Stay Sane. Luke, what content have you consumed this week to stay sane? Uh, I have been watching the first three episodes of the Tottenham Hotspur documentary on Amazon, <laughs> <laughs> which is very strange, but I'm I'm fascinated by how it's, it's, it's very odd to watch because obviously I remember watching it from the outside and now it's just going back over what was quite a bad season and watching it again but with added commentary from people saying, yes, this is bad. Uh, okay. It is, it is going to be fascinating, though, because it, it filmed the entire way through the pandemic. Um, and obviously they, they had to pause the season for three months and train remotely and all this sort of really crazy stuff. Uh, so that should be really uh, fun to get to in the next, over the next six episodes or out over the next two weeks. Which season is this about? 
It's the one just gone, so the 1920 season. Oh, and that was a bad season? Uh, it was not a great season. It, it started off being a very bad season and ended up just a middling season. I know this might sound dumb, but why does a middling season warrant a full documentary? Well, they, they obviously have to fil- start filming before you know how the season's going to go. Oh. Because of the how of linear time. <laughs> so they just released like a documentary about like a so-so season of soccer? Yeah, they do this a lot. So they, it's all or nothing. They've done some on like NFL teams. They did a similar one on Man City. Uh, there's actually a running one on Sunderland or different producers, but it's, it's on Netflix, which is an amazingly good documentary. The, the Sunderland one like kind of went a little viral here. Yeah, people loved it. It was great. Um, but yeah, so you you know you start it and you hope you're picking a team that has a good, exciting season. And generally what you pick is a team who had a good, exciting season last season and therefore don't, based on the way that things, you know, return to the mean, don't have a very exciting season. I see. Well, that's cool. That's nice that you're watching like a, like a fine documentary about soccer. I mean, we still ended up much worse off than we wanted. So the documentary is, it's also quite weird because like, it is done with the express permission of Tottenham, so they're only showing you what they want to show you. Oh, so it's like prop- so it's like propaganda for the football team. It is essentially yes. Okay, but that's fine because Tottenham is just owned by like a normal billionaire who's evil for normal billionaire reasons. Not uh, the not a petrol state. Man- no, the Man City one was owned by a petrol state, and that was very uncomfortable. I can imagine that would be very uncomfortable. Okay, well that's nice. What have you been watching? Uh, or playing. Oh, I finished an incredibly good TV show. Uh, on uh, HBO Max, which is quickly become like my favorite streaming service, which I'm kind of surprised about, called Close Enough. And it is a animated show that is by the guy who made the show The Regular Show or Regular Show. Are you familiar with this? I'm not familiar with it, but okay. Okay, so like Regular Show was like a Cartoon Network show for kids. And then Close Enough is like for adults and every episode is about the surreal horror of being in your thirties. I mean, it is a horror. Yes. And so I found it extremely soothing to watch a show that is focused around 35 year olds, accepting that their lives won't be as good as they wanted them to be in their twenties. Right. So I found that like very nice. So I could kind of, you know. Was it due to was it due to a pandemic or or was it for other reasons? Oh no! Uh, in the show, it's just there's no pandemic. It's just because um, being a millennial is uh, a never ending series of embarrassments and misery. Sure, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, uh, I want to thank you guys for for listening. I mean, the show is. Were you, were you going to say tuning in? Yeah, I th- yeah. Thank you for tuning in, but also thank you guys for listening. Uh, the show is like blowing up in a way that we kind of weren't expecting. And it's been really exciting to watch all the new people come in and check it out. So thank you. Uh, Tell a friend if you like it. We are dropping our first Patreon exclusive episode this week. The Content Minds presents post-post-credit scene. Yep. Uh, (laughs) um, That that is going to be about uh, the final season of Game of Thrones and finally deciding whether or not it was good or bad. Um, I believe it was good. Ryan agrees, but... Pretend it doesn't for the first second. I do not agree with you. It's a terrible goddamn season of television, and I'm I'm happy to fight this with you. Um, so that will be dropping on Friday on our Patreon. Please go check it out. 
And post post credit scene will be the sideshow that Luke and I will be doing for Patreon uh, patrons. And it will be basically like this show, but without any serious stuff whatsoever. And literally uh, f- really, really focused on our love of arguing about um, uh, movie and TV franchises. Yeah, we used to do this while uh, in the pub. Now we do it over a screen because that's how things are done in 2020 that's exactly right so definitely check that out this week uh the next episode of post post credit scene will drop the week after next so we'll do it like every other week for a while uh and if you guys have any suggestions for what you want us to watch or fight about or if you want to uh call in uh i think (laughs) i think that would be super cool if patrons wanted to call in um so we'll do our best to let you guys know what we're going to be watching and talking about before we record. And then we can set up a way for you guys to talk to us. Um, and uh, as more people come onto the Patreon, we're going to be adding new stuff. Uh, and if you have any ideas for, if you want to do it, if you seriously want to do a discord and like connect with other listeners, we can set that up. Um, sky's the limit, baby. Uh, just like Q, we can go in any direction you want. So yeah, sounds good. Okay. Oh, uh, Luke, what's uh, to, to end to end this week? What's what, what's a conspiracy theory that you kind of believe? Um, I don't know, man. What about Labour Party internal politics? <laughs> what? Yeah, um, Thro- yeah. No, 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 I don't know, man. I've, I've feel, I feel like I've I've proven all the conspiracy theories. <laughs> they are conspiracy theories. I just think they're things that are real. Um, I don't have a, <laughs> I don't have a good answer to the question. You you want to know a conspiracy that I am like a, a real truther uh, yeah. for? I think I believe the theory that Alex Jones is Bill Hicks, the comedian, and that Bill Hicks faked his own death and reinvented himself as an Austin shock jock, and that Alex Jones is, is just a character played by Bill Hicks. I believe it. I've seen the photographs. I think I believe it. If you okay. if you haven't heard of this, Google Bill Hicks, Alex Jones. Apparently, if anyone asks Alex Jones about this theory, he becomes irrationally angry. And I think that is very... Sorry, sorry. Alex Jones becomes irrationally angry. It seems so unlike him. It's so odd, right? Yeah. Um, but I, I think I believe it. I'm not I, I, I'm not 100%, but I think I believe it. Okay. Interesting. The, the truth I is out I wish I'd never mentioned it to you. <laughs> the truth is out there. Wait, did you tell me about that conspiracy? Yes. Really? Yes. Oh, wow. I believe it. I think I believe it. <sighs> this is a problem with radicalization, you see. Like, it's so easy to do. It's, you can do it by accident. <laughs>